Hello and welcome to my podcast, Identity. Today I'm going to be talking about mathematics as best I can talk about it. Um, let's just take this really casually. Uh, I don't, I really don't um, have the resources within my brain to talk about everything that mathematics is, so I don't claim to know all like higher up levels of math and all fields about it. Um, but there's, I just like to talk about math in general or my opinion of it because I'm always alluding to that there's like problems with math or there's different ways of doing it. And if the case is that if I'm proposing alternative math theories, like you really don't have to accept them as math technically like i wouldn't call my alternative theories to be mathematical because math as a body wouldn't recognize them so you really don't have to call them math um but that's not that's no reason to not propose them as alternative theories because the reason i think that i can propose like slight variations on mathematical principles is because i think that eventually math will just be kind of uh it'll be more privatized like uh, it'll be it'll give way to a competitive environment where everybody is able to propose alternative math theories and that's kind of already happening where it, where you see that anybody on YouTube can make a series of videos about math and uh, they're like people can give their interpretations on math that aren't necessarily academic but uh, generally speaking, your the math community has enough strength that they will they probably have the ability to strike down anything that anybody says is math that doesn't adhere to academic mathematics mathematics principles. Like the math community is strong enough that they'll strike that down there. Like check up on like your video will be disliked so much if you're uh, if you're calling your alternative theories math and they aren't already mathematical according to academic math like they'll remove those videos but uh so i don't know how many years away it is the kind of environment that i'm proposing or like predicting but i think that eventually this will just give way to philosophical argument like the authority of mathematics will be uh will be disintegrated to some extent as we go forward and it'll be disintegrated by people being able to propose alternative theories to math but like so i'm saying it'll give way to this competitive environment but part of that is because math is uh philosophical by nature and then your so your attempts to explain it in really specific languages and uh then uh try to get people to learn the languages by following the same patterns that everybody else follows like i think that it kind of runs contrary to what math is or what you're supposed to use it to do uh because math is philosophical and um like for example there you hear sometimes that math is in nature like people are like math is in nature and nobody really goes so far as to explain what that would mean or the significance of that it's just something you hear like oh math is in nature like there's the golden ratio like there's all these infinite mathematical 
uh, things like idioms that you can point to that are like there's the golden ratio and the golden ratio is really beautiful and like you can look at fractals and how fractals are infinitely occurring patterns and those are beautiful and like using the word beautiful is part of the mathematics identity like the same way that the ma mathematics has its own identity practiced by mathematicians and you use the lingo of math to speak about math especially um, even in more generalized terms there's like math lingo like mathematicians on YouTube when they are when they're showing you videos like the essence of calculus or whatever like that try to break down calculus or a mathematical field uh, more simply they'll use the same terms as other mathematicians like intuition or beautiful this is beautiful this proof is beautiful um, or like rigorous, proving something rigorously, or but they kind of use their own motifs and their language in to go along with their identity. And overall, like the math identity is an importance of it is that you understand it to be kind of special, but because it's like set apart, it's separated. You don't know much about math. You understand people that are mathematical to be more intelligent than you and like especially higher up mathematicians they kind of have an authority on intelligence that's greater than any other person's authority i don't know if general consensus is that you would say a mathematician is smarter than a scientist but i feel like they would be they would be competing because uh you would look at a math identity of people that are mathematical to be like into abstractions into things that are like too smart like smarter than what there's even applications for like and there aren't applications for things that are abstract and so the rest of the world would view math identity as like one of the most intelligent like people that are hold to be mathematicians they've achieved that uh they've achieved the ability to call themselves like the smartest people in the world but like that's your or close to it because there are different identities afford you different packages that like you get with getting the identity so that if you have a phd in math um that is that makes you relatively more intelligent than if you have a master's degree in math but that's because you've invested the time and energy into a more deluxe mathematical package more deluxe math identity uh to give yourself that comes with more credentials that you get to speak to people about like you get to be even loftier and more above everybody else the higher that you've achieved mathematically but that's just the more that you achieve with the identity the further you're willing to go in like initiation processes that you do to become a mathematician so that you have that identity but like uh, you you give yourself that identity you automatically are more intelligent than everybody else is like what you have the authority to say but is what you're worth for investing that amount of time and energy into it and and so different identities are more valuable than others and like that's different that's different in employers like different jobs that you take if you're a construction worker you didn't invest the amount of time and energy into being that but that is still an identity that is valuable comparative to other comparable to other identities so it it's a you offer the services of that identity is what you get in achieving it and being able to call yourself that but the services you offer as comparable to other identities are less valuable so you'll earn less money for being a construction worker presumably than you would for being a mathematician even though like even though mathematicians as part of the identity, the whole thing about math is that we, as the rest of the world, don't know its application. Like, 
higher levels of math, it's really difficult to determine how it applies to the rest of the world in any sense. And so the same way that your service is offered as a mathematician, like uh, are like there aren't a lot of applications for that for you in the world. There aren't a lot of people employing mathematicians besides like universities to make you a professor or if you're like, because if you're a mathematician, you're just making, and that's your life, that's your career. You're just, and you're like at a PhD level math, you're, um, you're just making, you're writing scientific papers so that you can be a better mathematician, but they're just papers that are reviewed only by your mathematician peers. And so it's kind of, it's really elite in that way. It's more elite than other identities, other careers that you can have because, um, and part of that you can see is that you, it's hard to apply the services that a mathematician offers the same way that math itself is not uh, applicable, especially the higher, the higher up that you go. And and so you you get to really what you get with achieving the mathematics identity the package you get is that you're like well i get to wherever i go i'm more intelligent than everybody and and so like i would i would say like i would say that having a mathematical identity like achieving a phd in math um in reality it doesn't in reality, it doesn't call you more intelligent than other people. It doesn't call you more intelligent than non-mathematicians. And there's relative levels of intelligence associated with every identity, especially like scientist has a high relative intelligence associated with its identity, obviously, or like philosopher. Um, and um, But I would say that overall, you're... In reality, it's not like you're smarter than other people just because you achieved the math identity because I think it proves that you're more industrious than other people to achieve that identity, like that you're willing to go so far as to spend all that time and energy to get all those degrees to be have like a PhD in math that you become a professor. Like uh, there's definitely value. You're better at achieving things and like staying on task and uh, being hardworking and industrious, I would say, is what it says if you prove a math, you prove yourself to be able to get the math identity. And of course it says that you're smart to be able to do that. But um, I guess what I'm saying is that like the, ultimately it's just a bunch of boxes that you check and it's difficult, it's difficult. You have to be intelligent, obviously. You have to be really intelligent to do that. It's just that like the intelligence is really specific to math and math, what you learn in math is just, uh, it's specific patterns like you learned a lot of calculus you checked off the box of knowing um of knowing calculus where calculus is just a specific field but intelligence itself is varied and applies to anything like there's so many different kinds of intelligence like mathematical intelligence i'm saying that you shouldn't necessarily call it intelligent by because you passed because for certain time periods you understood the professor enough to be able to pass their test to check the box to keep going so that you because it proves that you're a hard worker you're able to do what it takes to check all these really difficult boxes like it proves how industrious you are and like and like i'm not trying to knock that even though i'm obviously knocking it to some degree like i'm saying you're not you're not that smart like it doesn't prove that you're smarter than other people just because you achieved one specific identity because intelligence is not limited to an identity it's uh, it's totally all kinds of things 
and um, and it is creativity, really. Intelligence, like your ability to be creative or understand uh, connections between all different things so that you can associate two seemingly totally different things to be the same. Like I, I, that's kind of what creativity is. Like that's what I'd say that intelligence is. And so if you achieve one, ide- one identity, like I think that just... That just shows, uh, I mean, it shows your intelligence, but um, like intelligence is more wide ranging than that. It's like adaptable. It can apply to, but it is like creativity or like universality that you would, but intelligence is like your ability to describe the infinite, that your ability to convert the infinite into the finite, which is entirely dependent on creativity when the infinite is what is currently undefinable and not understood and so you have to be creative to uh include into reality sections of reality that currently are unreality to include unreality into reality to make unreality reality you have to be intelligent you have to be creative to do that and so making unreality reality isn't dictated by a math identity what's dictated by a math identity is that you is that you learned what a number of people told you that you were supposed to learn because learning calculus is just you being able to regurgitate a number of pro- specific processes that people for centuries have deemed to be the important processes you know it's just like uh they're just things that you that you have to memorize they're like memorized repetitive recursive patterns and that doesn't have anything to do with creativity but like mathematics comes from a word meaning art first of all like that's that's one explanation why math is like uh naturally artistic creativity uh creative or philosophical but like at its heart math is philosophical because you can have lots of different interpretations on on numbers because numbers are entirely abstract like the way that numbers relate to each other there's uh there's a lot that you can do that goes beyond what is currently mathematical so if i propose alternative theories to math like you don't even need to call them mathematical but um i'm saying that i would be able to do that because eventually everybody will be proposing alternative theories and we're maybe we're just a few years away but you already see some of that happening on youtube especially with people having different interpretations on like scientific principles it's just that academic math and academic science their communities are so strong that they're going to call anybody a liar that proposes something that's seemingly mathematical but you don't like you don't have to call what i'm doing math it's just it's an alternative theory but like in the same way that nasa was the authority on space travel for america and so it's not like any american is going to come up with an idea to go to the moon because nasa already is the authority on that like nasa is space travel but over the years like post the 1960s and 70s uh space space exploration that nasa was doing got less and less uh less and less involved they they weren't doing as much they weren't like they were not doing a lot in the name of space exploration they were getting lax and they weren't you know they're not evolving or changing or doing a lot in the name of space exploration to the point that the obama administration defunded nasa like it got to that point and uh what arose is a privatized like spacex that Elon Musk created. So Elon Musk is just an American that came up with the idea to go to the moon, but that arose as an alternative argument to space exploration to NASA, where NASA was deemed to be the ultimate authority in space exploration from an American perspective. And so, uh, like, eventually things 
get privatized like that, like your alternative theory, your alternative version of what alt, what used to be just one one group's authority. And so with SpaceX around, that makes it a competition, and you see NASA is stepping up their game with SpaceX becoming a major player. Like NASA is actually getting more involved now um, and like actually doing what they were doing before a little bit more, but they have to step up their game. And I would say the same thing about math is math has to step up their game. And so we need alternative theories because math is not evolving. They're not doing much in the name of be doing anything mathematical. The languages that they've created are just at this point, they just exist for the elitism of mathematicians to speak in mathematical languages to each other. And they're, and it's just this big levels of fraternity process where you get a higher level of the fraternity if you get a PhD. And basically, you're a, if you're a professor in math, you have to prove that you're a professor by doing the rituals that come with being a math professor like uh, being knowing how to do a proof that somebody else has already proven. Like, uh, generally, you want to be able to come up with your own proofs. Like, if you're a really good mathematician, and then you put those in scientific papers. But and those, like anything you put in a scientific paper, any proof that you propose, it'll take years for it to be. Like, you have to get it peer reviewed, and that's difficult. And it's just like all these. It's all these regulations to propose anything new mathematically that's actually going to change anything. It's basically like Congress, and so like Congress's ability to change, implement change in America is. Uh, it doesn't change America very quickly and America doesn't evolve very quickly from changes in Congress because Congress is just so gridlocked, but just because of the system makes it so that there it's hard to move forward uh, congressionally. But mathematics and science works the same way with their, there's just nothing but regulations that you have to go through to actually implement something that's a change mathematically. And even if it's implemented, it's not like it's going to get the level of respect across the board that it's going to change math because fields of math, competing math theories, basically the competition between math theories will overtake uh, academic math because it changes at a much, it'll change at a much faster rate than math is able to keep up with. And uh, so math needs to change what they're doing to some extent and they will at the point that alternative theories are more widely accepted that like you that you give the average person the ability to say that they have the authority of math or say that they are part of the math identity you know but like uh basically if you're a professor you have to do a proof on a board like where where i went to college i went to cedarville university and in cedarville ohio and got a bachelor's degree in math and the a lot of the professors in some of my more difficult like math specific classes they kind of have to they have to do a proof that's related to the class every once in a while or like to start off the class they might do a proof so they have to know these proofs and basically that's just a that's just a show that they put on like it's kind of like theater that is Co that coincides with the uh, rituals of math like oh you have to to be a mathematician and take that identity on you have to be able to do the proofs um the way other mathematicians do like you being able to say this is equal to this even though it's something that somebody else already proved like that's you showing that you're able to you're proving that you're worthy of the identity you know but it's like you put on a show to be able to do that um because the show is proof of you being able to do that and like 
mathematical language, I'm saying the problem, the reason why the world can move to propose alternative math theory that's better than math is because math is too elite and stuck in its ways that it doesn't move fast enough to uh, go along with the rest of the world or change at the rate that the world is changing at this point because uh, because because they're too elite and they keep their language too specific. It's kind of like the Icelandic language is uh, totally specified to Iceland because not enough people traveled there that anybody would know their language besides Icelanders on the island of Iceland. And so Iceland has this really specific language and like it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like a language that's protected in that way. In Iceland, their language is protected because it's specific to Icelandic culture. And only people in Iceland know the language. And but like math kind of does that. They're like our languages are special enough that they have to be separated and isolated and revered. And in order to take part in the math identity, you have to you're then smart enough to know the mathematical languages. But you proving that you know mathematical languages is is just you memorizing something, really memorizing something the same way that um the same way that you just check off boxes in order to pass classes to achieve higher levels of checked boxes like a bachelor's degree is just a checked box really but you get that checked box by checking the boxes of all these sub lower classes you have to like i had to check like 30 math boxes in order to get the math box checked like the degree box checked you know but it's i pass those classes only if i know for a short period of time what the professor expects of me and what the professor expects of me is just like you have to memorize these patterns and it's all just a bunch of memorization and like not a lot of creativity um it's all just memorization in order for you to check boxes, but you memorizing it and spitting out memorizations that are expected of you is you proving yourself worthy of the identity by performing initiative processes that get you to higher levels of the fraternities of math, you know? And so I'm saying that, like, I wouldn't... What you hear from me if I propose somewhat acceptable alternative math theory is, like, it's just one of what's going to be plenty of competing arguments of people just like me saying the same things because that's just going to arise at some point naturally since math doesn't do anything to evolve its language. And so it's fine. It's like fine to have a special language like that, an elite language. Like it's fine that Iceland holds to its culture strongly enough that they still practice their language or whatever, or like that an island nation is able to develop apart from other nations and therefore make a more specified culture like that makes you more artistically viable that makes you more interesting from an artistic perspective because the same way japan developed separately and like they um were able to make all of their own art and then they what we arrive at today is a really different culture from any other culture in the world like from an artistic perspective that's very interesting uh the same way that math is the math is art, math is artistic, but I guess you holding to that level of isolation and elitism and like that other people are supposed to revere you for what you do is kind of like you hold to a culture that has a higher uh, higher level of art associated with it. Like it has a has more to say artistically. Does math, but you protect the languages so that it does have more to say artistically. So there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's just that you. Uh, like, 
specified languages themselves they they're dying really it as the, the way that it stands currently because english is just being made relative to every country in the world to the extent that uh smaller tribal languages and really specified languages to a smaller group of people are dying off as those people die and like so we're we're making the amount of languages there are like getting fewer and fewer um so i guess that makes it difficult to maintain a specified language but basically alternative math theories will arise in order to build a bridge from regular english language that regular people know to mathematical language that is meant for mathematical math mathematicians and elites in math um like alternative theories will arise that build the bridge between regular language and mathematical language inevitably is what i'm saying is going to happen um and because because math is too elite and math as it stands now like mathematicians don't make any attempt to communicate their languages to regular people that's why it's so difficult to learn calculus like the it, it's not a great thing to learn because it's because there's better ways to describe it but they don't do anything to make it more relatable to people because part of the math identity is being specialized and separated and isolated in that way it's part of the identity to be that and also people that are already high up authorities in math don't aren't in the business of making themselves more relatable to people and aren't in the business of making math more relatable because part of them like part of their importance like what they feel to be important about themselves is that they are separate enough and more intelligent than everybody else so as to not be relatable to them intelligence wise you know it's like totally um separated like that and like they don't make any they don't make attempts to make their languages relatable is part of the problem with math and why you should try to propose alternate math theory but um language of i actually made notes for this one because i'm starting to be like oh no like if more people are listening then i'm like i have to i feel like i have to take it seriously and then it kind of makes me slow out slow down the output of episodes because i'm like oh this has to be a serious thing or i have to know what i want to say so i'm I actually made some notes or i made some bullet points and I made some bullet points and let's just be real casual with, I mean, this isn't a big deal. Like I don't need to get all freaked out. I don't need to cover everything mathematically. I'm just talking about uh, the math, just talking about the math identity and how the languages of it are too, like the languages are too convoluted um, for one. And I'm saying like all of, all of math as it stands now should just give way to, a lot of it should give way to philosophical debate because if you look at something like calculus calculus ultimately just involves the relationship of lines to spaces like borders to the to what the borders enclose like a derivative uh because calculus is about the relationship between a derivative and an integral and a derivative is the border of an integrated area so that the integral constitutes the space enclosed by the border the derivative but the derivative is a border because it is derivative and patterned as opposed to the space within it is integrated and infinite the border is finite because it's definable to one thing the space within a border is infinite because um because the border has to 
account for an infinite space but like has to account for an integral but like an integrated space is like an infinite space is like a spectrum because a spectrum is in is integrated of all considerable points within a spectrum but there's no point within a spectrum you're like allowed to consider if you actually consider a point then it becomes definable i'm saying the space within an enclosure is not definable but the definable aspect of it is the border around it that's what makes it definable and it's not defined unless there is a border around it the same way that anything any word in the english dictionary is has a border around it that makes it so that when you start to talk about a oven from talking about a toaster there's a point at which it becomes an oven and then there's a point at which it becomes a toaster but so there's a line somewhere between toaster and oven uh is what's the point of having words that are different from each other having definitions at all and so like the the integrated space is infinite the the integral is like infinite and the the derivative is finite but the derivative you can understand to be finite because it is the word derivative but something that's derivative is patterned off of uh previously existing more unexplainable things that are less patterned like a derivative is a pattern because it's more definable because it's derivative you know it's derivative of other things you're like oh that's easy to that's more easy to explain it's derivative but like uh, that's and so that's what a derivative is. It is the border. It is the definable, explainable part of a of a derivative integral relationship. The un, undefinable part is the integral, and and so ultimately, it's just talking about the a border relationship between a border and a space. And it's like that you calculate it is uh, is where calculus comes from because you can calculate lots of different derivatives, lots of different as they apply to actual physical objects. You can calculate the the slopes of different points on physical objects of different 3d objects and like higher levels of calculus go into further dimensions so that you can calculate the volume of three-dimensional object as opposed to two-dimensional object but uh it's really arbitrary mathematically when you find the integral of something it's it's arbitrary what you're finding the integral of because you have to you have to specify a space when you find an integral you have to be like it goes from zero to two pi or something you have to specify a space on a on a line on a slope i mean on a function that is just a line you have to specify a, a space to find an integral where in reality there are infinite antiderivatives is what you would say there's infinite antiderivatives but that's because x squared so x squared as a function is just as a line and like um anyway i don't want to turn whatever i don't want to turn viewers off but that's just going to happen anyway um i'm going to get to more applicable parts of this in a minute if you just hold on past what i'm saying now about integrals and derivatives um i'll say more interesting things in a minute and uh so if you look at x squared that is a function that's a line and you can look at the graph of it and it's just like a hyperbola that goes i think that's what you call it a hyperbola that goes straight up into the air that's symmetrical around the y-axis and that's the graph of it and so but that is a derivative when you consider it in relationship to an integral and the the integral if you took x squared as an integral 
it would be x squared plus c because when you take the derivative of anything that's a constant where the c stands for a constant if you take the derivative of anything that is a constant the constant goes to zero but uh, basically you're left with a you're left with a derivative as opposed to something that can be plus c um, so this is only if you know derivatives and integrals but like I'm saying look at the something that doesn't get considered mathematically is if you look at the difference between x squared as a derivative and x squared as an integral if you took that same pattern but applied it to both integration and derivation like that's something on its own that we don't talk about in math because all you're doing is calculating specific uh, derivatives from integrals or like specific points on one one derivative or on one line you're calculating specific points and um so if you look at x squared as a derivative it's just x squared and so that's one pattern but if you look at x squared as a antiderivative there are infinite of those in coincidence with that there are uh, in coincidence with that integral is the infinite explanation of this dynamic but there's infinite of them because when you say x squared is an integral you have to add a constant to it but it can be any constant so therefore since there are infinite constants you can make infinite antiderivatives off of one derivative but that's that's just the infinite nature of integrals themselves and what I'm saying is that x squared is just a it's just a pattern it's a specific one it's you you input zero and x squared and it's zero you put input one and it's one you input two and then it's four so that your specific sequence specific pattern specific derivative for x squared is zero one four nine sixteen twenty five thirty six forty nine and then the same thing negatively in the opposite direction so that's a specific pattern so that's how you know a derivative is specific but if you look at x squared as an integral it is x squared plus c and so you can add um and so you can add any constant to that pattern so that if you added one to zero one four 9, 16, 25. If you added 1 to all of those, it would be 1, 2, 5, 10, 26. Like 1 added to everything in that sequence is what you do if you add 1 as the constant um, when you're looking at x squared as an integral. But you can add any constant, including fractional amounts, including irrational numbers. You can add any constant, like root 2 is a constant. You can add any one of those so that you can fill in uh, any space within the original pattern of 0, 1, 4, 9, 25. You can fill in any space of that so that what you end up with is just infinite space filled in, but that's what an integral is. And um, like it's infinite where out of what would otherwise be a specific pattern. At the point that you describe x squared as a specific pattern, it does derive to a single sequence. Uh, which is important about it because that specifies it from any other sequence or function that you could come up with, such as x to the third minus two or the square root of x squared plus one or whatever, the absolute value of x minus one. Like all of those are different functions and x squared is the only one that's like this sequence. And uh, so what you see is that there's an infinite aspect and a finite aspect to any function, which is communicated by there's a derivative and there's an integral. But uh, like this should be up to it's it gets more philosophical if you ask me. It's more interesting to look at it philosophically than to try to calculate 
different like calculate different inputs to the function x squared and like different slopes of x squared at different points on it it's more interesting to consider it philosophically in my opinion because then you can relate it to just the dynamic between subjectivity and objectivity which is the same thing as infinite versus finite but you, same thing as uh, wave versus particle but like it helps you it would help you make correlation between other fields like scientific ones or um, like quantum mechanics if you're able to understand uh, integral derivative to be the same as wave particle duality or at least uh, try to speak that to be the same but the problem with the math identity is that their language doesn't allow for you to make connections like that to say that it's the same thing as a subjective objective dynamic um, is like an integral derivative one and part of that is that we don't have philosophical discussion about it to uh, to even look at an x squared and say oh, what is the difference between that as a derivative and as an integral? All that you do is say, how do you find x squared as an integral when you start off as, uh, when you start off with uh, 2x? Because 2x, uh, the integral of 2x is x squared and then the derivative of x squared is 2x. But uh, I'm saying look at the specific function and then consider two different operators that apply to it. Um, which is like, uh, I'm saying look at x squared as a medium. But you're, uh, you are a medium between subjectivity and objectivity for yourself. And like the medium, so x squared is a medium, I'm saying. Any function that you would name is kind of like a medium, and it's a medium for... Uh, it's a medium between subjectivity and objectivity, but like in something like x squared, you can see it as a subjective side where like subjectivity is more representative of something that's integrated. Um, like an x squared is a name that goes over both an objective and a subjective for, for uh, a derivative and an integral, you know, like that way. But uh, you can, it is kind of the name that goes over both of those things, or it's like the identity really it's like the identity maybe i i feel like i might have come to the conclusion that your connector between subjectivity and objectivity and really what i'm trying to describe by describing identity this entire podcast um is like identity is a word for your is a word for the medium between subjectivity and objectivity and um what i realized just recently is that it's in mathematics that that is uh, already spoken for you better than like that idea is articulated in math better than in just about anywhere else that I could think of that there's a connector between subjectivity and objectivity and um, that there's a word for it because you have to look at because what mathematics says about identity is that identity is a property that is related to addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division in the uh, what's known as the additive and subtractive identity properties and the, uh, the identity property of multiplication and the identity property of division. But uh, pretty much I'm already trying to come up with better language for something that connects all operators into one. And really that a word for that is identity, at least mathematically speaking, but more importantly, 
the the word identity so the identity property of addition is says that any number plus zero is still the number and then the uh, the subtractive subtraction identity property is that any number minus zero is still the number the multiplicative one is that any number times one is still the number and the division one is that any number divided by one is still the number but the importance of that is that you see that identity is central to the number one and the number zero. Well, identity is what's central to all of those properties, but that identity is central to addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. But uh, more importantly, it's central to, it has relationship to one and to zero. It's just that for zero, it has an addition type relationship type relationship and for one it has a multiplicative type relationship and really i would say that the significance of that is that identity you have to kind of picture identity to be at the middle just picture the word identity and then see that on the right you have like plus zero and then on the left of it you have times one going in going uh, right to left from the word identity so that the whole if you were to say that that's a phrase the whole phrase says one times identity plus zero um, and I'm setting it up that way so you see that identity is central to both a one and a zero but in both the application of one times that and zero plus that is uh, identity is what results and the, the significance of that is that uh, identity is a connecting force between one and zero. And that's, that's also what I'm trying to figure out by saying something like what's the division in a spectrum because a spectrum archetypally is like a 0% to 100%. But uh, like the middle of a spectrum, like I said in the opposition episode, I don't really know a name for it, but I think you want to, I think that there is a specific name that you would want to arrive at. And I don't think that that name is identity. I'm just saying identity is like, it's central to all the operators. But it's uh, it, what's more important is that mathematically you already have these defined properties that say that addition is connected to multiplication through, through identity. And I would say that the equivalent, an equivalent thing would be that there's like a connector between subjectivity and objectivity because uh, multiplication would carry out subjectively and addition would carry out objectively and uh, your line between subjectivity and objectivity is like your identity but it is your name that is your connector between a subjective and an objective sense and it is your name that makes you a medium between subjectivity and objectivity and it's like mediums are what you number or what you can name like for instance, you could name infinite people, and each one of those would be a different person than the last. You could also count all of those people or name them like person one, person two, person three, um, the same way that you can number numbers. But your abstract way of just numbering anything is just numbers. And so numbers themselves are mediums that you would want to understand to be related to multiple operators at once. Like, for example, you would want to, if you want to go further in a, in a relationship between like lines and spaces around them, borders and their enclosed spaces, like we do with derivatives and integrals, you would, um, you'd want to consider in like the line at the middle and then what space is inside of it and what space it separates, uh, 
what's inside of it from because like a a dividing line or a def definitive line that defines something encloses something but it also separates the enclosed space from another space and so if you want to go further in understanding the relationship between lines and spaces you'll want to understand numbers as mediums to be at the middle of operators which would be on the left or the right of it but uh what you have with one times identity plus zero or that phrase that i'm setting up that puts identity at the center in that you understand that the identity is a medium but just substitute identity for anything you could name or any number but more importantly it is numbers that are mediums but it's like a negative sign and a plus sign um that you would want to understand as connective of like a subjective and an objective around a medium and but more importantly one times identity is related to a subjective side, but identity plus zero is related to the objective side of things because a plus zero is different. Like uh, you already see that that's different from a times one identity, even though it seems like the same thing because you would result like seven plus zero is still seven. Seven times one is still seven. You would result in seven either way. So it would be difficult to say that there's really anything different about the seven in relationship to those two operators but um what it really says is that like it just says something more profound about the relationship between one and zero which i don't really i haven't really articulated that like there's more explanation i need to give for it but um what's important about the plus zero side of it is that a plus sign is basically designates a separation and um with an identity if you were to consider the very base level of having an identity it would be something like the very base level of having an identity would be if there were um if there was only one identity in the entire universe like entire existence like there's only one if there were four people and four people was the entire universe anything that you could even conceptualize was four people there is nothing outside of that that was the universe like that's the base level of an identity you could have is being the same as the other three people like there's four people that all are people you know and um like people is the identity in that sense but like the base level of there being an identity is that the identity is if there's only one identity and that's the entire universe but even in that sense there is even in that sense an identity is um you in that sense for people is everything but even when there is everything in your attempt to describe everything you understand that everything is still not nothing because everything can't be nothing so so there's still something that everything can't be which is nothing is the opposite of it so in like describing in everything or describing even one identity that is the universe you automatically say that it is like separated from nothingness because you're saying that everything exists if you're saying this four people identity exists and that's automatically separated from there being nothing that exists and so um when you designate a plus zero as opposed to a times one you are designating you're specifying that an identity is also separate from nothingness i mean it's separate from every single other identity but uh point being the plus zero is meant to denote the separation that comes with an identity because being in the same identity is 
three other people and that's the entire universe you are you are identified that way but still to have an identity you have to be separated from other identities and in that case the only other one is nothing and that's kind of what's denoted by a plus zero but a plus sign uh denotes an additional instance of something in that case an additional zero it's saying additionally zero is what exists so additionally there is nothing even if there's only one identity but the times one aspect of it um that just that one's a bit harder to describe but i'm just saying that a plus sign denotes that an identity is separated from things the multiplication sign is a more is an equating it's saying that your identity is equal to things because identity is really a word for equal equalness and separation because anytime that you have one you're also automatically separated from other identities as you're you're that you're separated from other identities the same way that you are identical you're the same as other people who have the identity and so um it's like a word for sameness and difference at the same time i know that i said that the opposite of it was difference but that's not a complete explanation of what the opposite of identity is because because um, because the opposite of difference is sameness, and there's not. I still don't have a word for the opposite of identity. It's just that identity literally translates to sameness, and so difference is essentially what the opposite is. It's just like um, it's a sameness that infers a difference is an identity, and so maybe it's just both. But. Uh, you have you already have mathematical properties that speak to the importance of identity being a central figure in the uh, in the explanation for equating sameness and difference, and uh, so like you have to you have to keep that in mind when you're thinking about identity, um, and like that's what math has to say about that about identity, and that's what that's. That's one of my notes. That was one of my notes that I had to cover. And that was an important... So that's like an important landmark in the course of the entire podcast is the point that I arrive at. Mathematically speaking, identity is a connecting force between multiplication and addition. Um, because it literally says that by their by properties that have already been established. and um, And so... And so you want to orient the mediums or any different number to be the middle because that's what you name or that's what you number. Those are your different identities are different names. Um, and like mediums, um, you understanding a medium is an important is an important explanation or anybody. I'm saying anybody understanding that it is an important explanation for like your duality of of subjectivity, objectivity, or even like wave particle duality. It's like a you want to know what is the word for the, the connection between those two things, but like scientifically, you're trying to figure out what is the connection between the finite and the infinite, or like the relativistic and the um, quantum mechanical. And in a theory of everything, you want to find a theory of everything that connects both the uh, macroscopic and the microscopic, but that's the same thing as objective versus subjective, not the exact same. I'm just saying like essentially, there's a lot of ways you can boil down the uh, the dynamic between these, these two things into different words. One of them is chaos and order. Uh, order and chaos. Order is objective, chaos is subjective. Because chaos is subjective because it speaks to equalness, sameness across 
many different people because that's chaotic because there's no order there's no hierarchy if it's a sameness yeah but that one's confusing so maybe maybe chaos is subjective and maybe order is objective um maybe but okay so math math their language isn't they don't do a lot to try to relate it to the surrounding universe but that's what makes them elite mathematicians like they want to maintain that authority anyway um they so you can see that there's things that they do that are just a little bit like they're not trying to advance the language um as evidenced by something like the square root of minus one because what they do what they did to advance our understanding of the square root of minus one is uh well first of all they came upon that term square root of minus one and they don't really have a great explanation for it so they just called it an i so that they made it so that the square root of minus one equals i when uh calling that term i doesn't help you in actually understanding what it means it actually just it actually makes it more difficult because an i isn't uh isn't very much related to whatever the idea is behind the square root of minus one because i is a letter it's like a it's a vowel you know and so stands for a letter of the alphabet already but um i mean that's what you do when you label anything in x is that uh but you have to have some way of categorizing it or whatever so you they came up with a shorthand basically that's just the square root of minus one is an i and an I, that's that's where that ends, really. If you call it an I and then try to expand on the language that uh, that caused you to eventually arrive at an I, if you try to keep expanding on the language to then develop I into something else, you wouldn't be able to go any further because I is not related much to the idea. It's just a shorthand for it. And um, so like the square root of minus one you would want to call something else. should be up to like uh, you should have a more philosophical explanation for that rather than that you rather than that it becomes i and uh as this podcast goes on i try to i'm trying to come up with uh what exactly you call i and i said in one of the i said in the earlier one of the earlier episodes i is uh equal to one over one and i still I still stand by that because it's like it's just like a negative and uh, positive combined for any any medium for any number that you name and it it's like uh, what I'm describing too is that identity is related to the idea of the coming together of the negative and positive senses of the same name because the same way that you would uh, the same way that you would be able to apply plus zero to five and times one to five and they're both five is uh, the same way you're able to do that you can consider how five as a number is both is relative to both positivity and negativity and you would describe its relationship to both of those at the same time as like one of these imaginary numbers in I, 2I, 3I and um, but that's like a better way of describing it because that's what's actually going on. It's like that it's a it's a merger of a positive and a negative. But like that's not that is more 
explanatory of the idea like that's just headed in a direction of explaining the entire thing better and you would want to explain the square root of minus one better because well i started doing it because the most famous unsolved math problem is the riemann hypothesis and it heavily involves uh i equals the square root of minus one terms and it heavily involves them and this Riemann hypothesis is uh, it's um, been unsolved for 160 years, and in my opinion, the reason for that is because your setup of it is does not explain what's going on, and really, you need to make advances in the English side of it so um, so that you can build a bridge more to whatever mathematical language you have describing it right now, because um, uh, because it's like a it's because we don't comprehend the problem as it's set as it's set up the way that it's set up and part of the reason we don't comprehend it is because we have like we don't know what the square root of minus one is and so i feel like if i were to ever solve if i were to ever solve the riemann hypothesis i would have to do something else with the square root of minus one but like i'm not that's uh so that would be a long ways of way obviously if i ever wanted to solve the riemann, riemann hypothesis but Part of the problem with us trying to solve it is that it's uh, we graph it in us trying to depict the Riemann hypothesis to us to ourselves like um, understand it visually we have to set it up on a complex plane which is a which is an xy plane and there's a field of math called complex numbers on which like everything that you do in there is on a complex plane but a complex plane is just the same as an xy plane but the y-axis has i 2i 3i 4i instead of regular numbers on it and then it has and then it has minus i minus i as minus i minus 2i minus 3i going the opposite direction going south on the other side of zero from the for the y-axis so as imagine it uh cross-references imaginary numbers with regular numbers um is that's and that's what you set up the riemann hypothesis on and uh like that's a fine that's a perfectly fine way to set it up it's just that there's more there's relatively better things that you can call a y-axis because in putting your y-axis to be i 2i 3i 4i i feel like the significance uh because in my opinion to figure out the Riemann hypothesis you're going to have to comprehensively come up with some comprehensively figure out what is the same thing it, both additively and multiplicatively like you have to figure out exactly the sameness across what is what is relative to both addition and multiplication. And um, so you would want to have the y-axis be multiplicative entirely, but this complex plane graphs a y-axis that is additive and subtractive the same way that the x-axis is additive and subtractive. And I think like um, really what you, because the i terms are multiplicative terms and you're kind of trying to, we've gone so far with the complex plane to try to graph multiplication against addition, but, uh, and w like we're sort of doing that, but what we have on the y-axis is still additive and subtractive because every i term has a negative i term on the other side of it. But what I'm saying is that what I'm saying is that that is not 
relatively very valuable to have another additive subtractive axis that you're graphing the the additive subtractive x-axis against because you can put everything additive subtractive on one line comprehensively on one on one horizontal number line because anything that you any mathematical term you can come up with like whether it be a rational real complex number like an i a root two a pi anything that you can come up with that's positive you can come up you can say the same thing is negative on the other side of zero and so every term that you come up with is subtractive and just as much as it is additive so that the pair of those it's uh additive in its subtractive sense both add to zero and so comprehensively you could put all of those imaginary numbers on one number line and so therefore the value of a of a of a line the value of it isn't uh the value of i numbers on a y-axis isn't very valuable there's just more valuable uh things that you can come up with as long as you're only going to graph this really important math problem on just two coordinate two axes um, you need to come up with a relatively more valuable one for the y term and I think like if you come up with something that numbers multiplication like that's what that's ultimately what you're trying to speak into existence with the setup of this problem and so I want to figure out the Riemann hypothesis because I'm like uh, because I'm overly ambitious or something like I think I can do it but I don't I'm really nowhere near but as long as you as long as you think through it and actually approach the problems like actually approach how far away you are from figuring the thing out then you would have a chance to at least figure out interesting things along the way because i would be i would be light years away from figuring it out because i already see just by looking at the problem that i don't know what an i term is and so you would have to figure that out first before you figured out the riemann hypothesis there's uh there's probably a way to figure out the riemann hypothesis just using the setup as we have it now using current mathematical language it's just you would uh to convert mathematical language like the way that we would understand it you would have to have like a 100 page proof or something which is often how these kinds of things turn out when somebody actually does prove it it's like 100 pages long but that's because our setup is already really convoluted um and not related to how we would normally speak and so you should really make advances to try to connect english with mathematics in terms of language and in doing so you would uh, provide yourself with shortcuts to be able to be able to speak the proof more into existence but really it's the case that in like 500 years from now this Riemann hypothesis should be summed up to just like a paragraph of words um ultimately because you can we should have advanced far enough mathematically by that point that we're so far beyond trying to understand a Riemann hypothesis that we can just sum it up in a paragraph but like you can like eventually you will be able to comprehend the language of the setup of this problem into words so well like convert a like a division sign like three over four the divide between three and four the frac fractional divide you would maybe be able to convert that into a word that it's supposed to be because it's like that word in every instance and like pretty much after a 500 years i would i would anticipate that a lot of that problem can just be summarized in a couple sentences um, and so, uh, like, I, I try to make attempts to make the entire thing more comprehensive to a few terms or phrases or whatever or something like that. Like, I guess I'm of the belief that I, you could convert this into more, 
um, understandable language, but but there's so so um so part of the math identity. I guess I'll I'll link a video that's like uh, a fractal that it keeps zooming in on the fractal so that it never ends because people will graph a fractal, but a fractal is like a never-ending repeating pattern that you can graph, and you get to understand the never-ending repetitiveness of it if you have a computer that color coats different regions within the fractal and then like zooms in f farther forever and ever. So there's these videos online that are like four hours long that it just keeps zooming in on the fractal. And the what's interesting about that is that it's kind of like the way that life works or it's like if you look at this video and i'll link it in the description this video of endlessly zooming in on a fractal it's kind of like the way that you walk around in the world i mean but if you if you kept taking a different path through it then the world would come at you differently every step of the way but it's like you as they zoom in on this fractal you still have to they still have to choose where to go in the fractal. So it's not like, because there's infinite repeatingness wherever you go in this pattern. It's not like only down one path that you zoom in on is the infiniteness of it because the infiniteness goes on in whatever path that you would have chosen. And uh, that's kind of the way that it works in life is like you choose a path, but the world comes at you no matter what path you choose and you can choose a bunch of different ones of them. And like it's just kind of a representation of the passage of time, either for you as an individual or for like an entire society, like the way that they, uh, way that they move through the make their path through the world, you know. And uh, so I'll link this video of the fractal because it's a because it's a big math deal to hype up fractals and call them beautiful, like mathematicians like to post a picture of a fractal and call it beautiful, and like what they really mean is just that infinity is unexplainable rather than like, Oh, this fractal is beautiful. Like it's only beautiful to the extent that you color code it. And even then it's just an image. Like it's just an image if you just have one image of it. So it's not beautiful, but infinity is unexplainable. And, um, so unfortunately it's just that, uh, the math, the math identity, I would say, well, at least, where I went to college, the math department was pretty forgotten, but but I went to an engineering school, so that was probably part of it. But you kind of understand people who get really into math, like if they're really into existing math, academic math, that it's just kind of a mix between dorkiness and especiality. Like that uh, you're supposed to feel like mysticism is like a mix between being dorky and being mystical is modern day somebody who practices, likes to speak about um, academic math or like somebody who, yeah, like I would never do that because I'd rather... No, I mean, I do I do it to some extent. I participate in, I got a math degree, but uh, what, I'm, what I'm talking about is like math. It's understood by the rest of the world. There's a certain dorkiness that comes along with, oh, pi is infinite, pi, ha ha, pi day, and like symbols that are mathematical and because um, it's kind of just understood that those, like those symbols are motifs that are pillars of, a mathematical identity at this point and pillars so much to the extent that you would destroy 
you would destroy the mathematical structure of things like religion, identity, if you expanded on the E equals 2.73 term or pi or I, like if you expanded on those to say that they were different things or like describe them in different language, that kind of, those are central like pillars of mathematics. And so like modern day academic math is built around them and is not in the business of expanding on them so as to uh, destroy them, you know, and just just know that uh, math is actually really interesting if you if theory of math was allowed, um, then that's where math is really interesting. Like that's where the mysticism of a mathematical identity is actually valid is because there are actually a lot of well, there's a lot of creative things you can do with it, I would say. And it is it's difficult to understand the applications of those, but if you um, but they're, they're kind of directly related to science as long as you're allowed to expand on any sort of mathematical language to make connections between other fields like science or um, f- philosophical arguments proposed by philosophers or anything. Like there's, there's connections between math and other things in the world. And like math is, it deals with your, it deals with like studying abstractions and like if I look up the math etymology, it says something. The direct definition is like dealing with abstractions, and if it is, if it is defined as the study of ab- abstractions, then you understand that math is the most relative to like language of numbers is what is relative to any other language. Like numbers is an abstraction that encompasses languages that you can come up with as long as the study of abstractions is mathematical but like a study of abstractions is a study of what is representational really and what is representational is not to be limited to like bodies of knowledge in an academic sense where they've put borders around ideas so that they can uh they can sell themselves so people can sell themselves as those ideas um so so mathematics, mathematical science relating to mathematics. Mathematics as defined by the etymology is the science of quantity, the abstract science which investigates the concepts of numerical and spatial relations. And so there's a lot that goes into the concepts of numerical and spatial relations and um, so the Wikipedia page for mathematics it says it's the mathematics includes the study of such topics as quantity, structure, space, and change. It has no generally accepted definition. Mathematicians seek and use patterns to formulate new conjectures. They resolve the truth or falsity of such by mathematical proof. Um, uh, yeah, so math is important and like your uh, whatever you are as a mathematician. I have a friend that's like a PhD in math and he doesn't act like stuck up or anything. Like there's plenty of people that are in higher levels of math that are great people that don't like act like they're in more intelligent than everybody else or anything. So it's not like that I did that always applies to you if you're in higher levels of math or whatever um it's not like you always have to act stuck up but and it's obviously important the way that it 
is carried out now and like uh, the structure of it has been really important and been an important contributor to studies of anything over the last 500 years like mathematics is an important topic duh but uh i'm just saying i'm just saying like there should be room for alternative theories and go ahead and call those not math like whatever i'd say is not mathematical because that would be fine but i don't i don't think i said anything really not mathematical today it's just that you uh if you make creative inferences they're struck down pretty immediately if they do go outside the bounds of math but um uh well and uh so and um thanks for listening to all of that i'm gonna end this conversation and um just let math into your life believe in math believe in the power of math and um Yes, and and that, and I'll link in the the description the video of fractals. Uh, talk to you guys later.